This is Check Yourself, a collaborative health and wellness podcast brought to you by Salem Health Hospital and the Salem Health Foundation. I'm Leah Burkhart, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Ty Schuyler. I had a chance to speak with him earlier on, and we got such positive feedback, and I, of course, enjoyed having him on the show so much, that we invited him back. We talked about everything from the seemingly mundane or comical aspects of sleep, so snoring, uh, as well as aspects of sleep disturbances that many people are not aware of or have misconceptions about, like narcolepsy, for example. We also touch on the power of being willing to take things one step at a time. By the time people are coming to the doctor for sleep challenges, we so often feel desperate and just want it to be fixed yesterday, please. But as with most things, it's a process. If there's one person who's well-equipped to support people through that process, though, it's definitely Dr. Schuyler. I hope you enjoy. So I'm here with Dr. Schuyler today. Hello again. Hi, it's good to be back. Yay! <laughs> and so even before we got started with recording, you were, we were talking about snoring. And you said, you know, it's funny, I, I go through these talks about sleep apnea, and I didn't even mention snoring. It, yes, and that, that's, it, it's inevitable that no matter what you, if you sit down and you do a talk about something, you'll, you'll go back and listen to them like, how in the world did I not <laughs> mention this, this targeted area? And so we talked so much about sleep apnea last time. We won't do so this time. Uh, you know, there's other really neat topics about sleep, but oh. I wanted to tie it back in because I was I was given a little flack from some of my colleagues where they were like, "You talk about sleep, but you didn't mention snoring," <laughs> and and that's one of the 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 uh, biggest you know risk factors and obvious signs that a person could have abnormal breathing during the night is if they snore. Uh-huh. Now, snoring just simply occurs because while we're sleeping, there can be uh, basically, when, when we're breathing in or sometimes even when we're breathing out, air is causing tissue through the nose or through the back of the throat. That soft tissue, mm-hmm. it rattles around. And uh-huh. so it just creates this sound. And some people, it can be barely audible or not audible at all. Maybe we just kind of notice a teeny little bit of vibration on a sleep study. But then sometimes it can be exceptionally loud. <laughs> and snoring is you know almost ubiquitous. At some point in someone's life, they might snore even just a teeny little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's pretty prevalent. Uh, habitual snoring, you know, regular snoring on essentially on a nightly basis or most nights occurs like 44% of men and about 28 or so percent of women. But loud, regular, habitual snoring can be a sign that maybe there's something beyond just snoring taking place and that would be sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to come back to it because if a person is saying, you know, you know someone or you yourself are saying, you know, you've been told that you have heavy snoring or, you know, others that snore and they're telling you that they're tired or they're not sleeping well or maybe they have conditions that might be seen with sleep apnea like high blood pressure or some other health conditions, Mm -hmm. you know, it might be worth looking into it that maybe there's something beyond snoring. And, you know, thinking back, you know, the, the, the level of snoring that can take place is, is profound. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's one of the areas where when people describe it, it's one of the few times where, um, you can almost lose your composure because they're, they're doing it in a really fun way. They're kind of ex- explaining what their snoring is like, but uh-huh. it's almost like that time when you're trying not to giggle in church as a child. I, I you know, maybe <laughs> once a year, twice a year. Exactly. <laughs> like someone will describe it in such a way, kind of jokingly. And it just almost makes you just want to you know, laugh because, it, and children are, are, are fantastic at describing, you know, adult snoring. Oh, yes. I had one gentleman and he, he, he said, you know, I, you know, I, I wondered if I was snoring, so I asked my, my 12-year-old son, I said, you know, do I, do I, does Dad snore? Do I snore at night? And he said, Dad, it's it's like when you go to sleep at night, the whole house becomes like an accordion, <laughs> <laughs> like going in and out. <laughs> um, but I've had I've had people say uh, in, in, in apartments, like in, in quads or what have you, uh, you know, they've called, you know, neighbors will call landlords because uh-huh. of how loud the snoring is and bothering their family or, or their sleep at night. Wow. I've had one lady who in a, in a, in a house next door, physically separated, get a text from her neighbor to say, Hey, can you roll over or something? You're snoring so loud. It's actually, it's bothering my sleep. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, people will use re- recording devices and, and, and ways. And that's one way if you sleep by yourself, maybe to measure whether you're you're snoring, they have apps on phones where you can kind of look at it mm-hmm. and it will give you some sort of a readout of whether how bad your snoring is. And 
and I had one lady, and, and, and she was really sweet. She was in her in her twenties, and and uh, she said, you know, my my boyfriend was telling me I snore, and you know, I just didn't believe him. And then finally, and this happens a lot, he just took out a, a you know the phone one night while I was asleep, and he re- and he he filmed me, he recorded me. <laughs> you know, I didn't believe him. And then when I watched the video, she goes. I just said to myself, how could something so beautiful make sounds that are so horrifying? (laughs) (laughs) She had a sense of, like, a healthy self-confidence. Exactly right. And it made me laugh so hard when she said that. It was one of those where, like, probably for a few minutes I was still trying to, like, you know. It was such a funny (laughs) description of it. But but the the cool thing about snoring is, is that... Uh, when associated with sleep apnea, we can eliminate it because snoring by itself may not bother you. You're sleeping through it, but your significant other, your bed partner, uh, family members, uh, neighbors, <laughs> uh, maybe com- you know it can really disrupt their sleep. Uh-huh. And, and uh, people don't recognize that they think once they go to sleep, you know, really does the external environment play a big role? Well, it can. You know, years ago they did a, a really interesting study where they found what did the sleep architecture look like of people who lived near an airport versus people who did not. Uh-huh. And they just would monitor these people over a period of time and they found that uh, whether they, they didn't recognize it, the people who lived near the airport, but when those planes were flying over and creating that sound, uh-huh. it was waking their brain up. So they end up spending a significant more time in a lighter sleep relative to the people who were distanced from the airport not being exposed to the sound of the airplanes flying over. Uh-huh. And so if an airplane intermittently passing over can lighten sleep, what can it be like when a person's lying next to someone and they're making gasping sounds and coughing and, and, and really heavy snoring. It can be very disruptive to their sleep. Uh-huh. When you do a sleep study and you watch someone sleep, I can have the text walk up and they can just kind of tap the a desk. And every time they make that little tap sound on the EEG, the brain waves, we can actually see the brain respond to it with little, little K-complexes, which is sort of a, it's a normal phenomenon, but we can see it as a form of irritability too. And so when little sounds happen, we can see K-complexes develop. And so people who live next to, you know, really noisy environments, it can be really hard on their on their sleep. And so snoring is one of those things that not only could it tip off that their sleep out and you fix it and treat it, you might make sleep better for everyone in the, oh. in the, in the house uh, as well. And make it a more harmonious space too. All this time they've been going to family counseling and give one person some help with their sleep. That's Maybe right. everybody comes back and goes, oh, it turns out I do like this guy. That's absolutely right. Yeah, it absolutely can play. Nicely. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you talk about quality of life, you wouldn't think about quality of life, but your quality of life is going to be dependent on your significant others or family members' quality of life, and you may be impacting them and indirectly impacting your own life just because you're not breathing well. Yeah. And so we can many times improve one's breathing, but it actually is a, uh, it, it carries over for other people and they're, and they're very appreciative of that. Yeah. Well, I know there's a lot of topics that we wanted to cover today that weren't just sleep apnea. The yep. one thing I was curious about in terms of questions that I've gotten about sleep apnea though sure. is, okay, so I do know that my spouse has this issue or we're pretty sure, like based on the patterns or whatever, <laughs> but obviously we're not positive. And I have no idea how to get a CPAP machine or if he needs to be prescribed one. And also, here's an additional layer. I don't have insurance. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. What, is there any pathway you would divert them to, or is it like? There are. There, it, 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 with our facility at, at Salem Health, um, you know, often uh, we'll, we've many times seen patients without insurance. There's forms of charity care where we can see those patients. And even if they end up needing, if they end up needing some form of treatment, there are need basis, um, groups out there that we can send referrals out or, or request for CPAPs and often get that uh, for patients. Uh-huh. Sometimes a patient may come in without insurance, but then um, when the system picks them up, they, they might be directed to, to, to for further assistance to find that they, in fact, actually do qualify for, for insurance, and then they're in the, in the, in the system as well. Okay. And I've seen that as, as the years have, have progressed with more expansion of um, you know, the, med- the Medicaid's and, you know, with um, the Affordable Care Act, we-, we see more patients now who were probably once charity care now um, a- a- on different forms of, uh, of insurance. And so they, they get what they need. Um, it's-, it's actually wonderful if they end up needing something just like a private insurance, they would, or, uh, they would, they would get the-, the care they need through our facility. And we don't screen anybody, you know, just any sort of sleep problem, any sort of, you know, Right. Um, there's there's no cherry picking. Um, you know, there's probably some facilities that may do those things at our facility. It's just you have a sleep problem. The doctor wants it to be seen. We'll see you and we'll help. And uh, mm-hmm. and for that, you know, I, I really appreciate we get to see a wide spectrum of different conditions and then um, and then get to treat that. Mm-hmm. Uh, to answer your question about whether you know for the treatments of sleep apnea, it's CPAP for those who may not know is a is a little air machine. It sits by the bed and it provides a stream of a steady stream of air through a small mask. 
And the air pressure just gently opens up the airway. But there are other treatments that we often use as well. Ah. Um, many times we'll use what's called oral appliance therapy. So we'll work with dentists in town who specialize in the in customizing these. Um, they're called mandibular advancement devices or oral appliances. Some people will call them just mouthpieces. But they're just worn at night, and they're these adjustable pieces. And they'll adjust and maneuver the lower jaw to go forward, jet the jaw just a little bit. And uh -huh. when we do that, it positions the tongue forward, kind of like when they teach CPR, uh -huh. to lift the chin, so it gets the tongue out of the way. But lifting that tongue out of the way opens up the airway. So that's a really effective way to treat the more mild or moderate forms of sleep apnea. So instead of an air machine at night, which some people are concerned about or real reticent about using, they might just use a mouthpiece. And they work, in terms of secondary outcomes, they work just as well as a CPAP. Oh, well, that's always good news, too, especially for those who, when they think about a CPAP machine, they go, oh, never mind, I'll just deal with the snoring. Exactly right. And, yeah. and you know, sometimes people aren't even really afraid of the therapies. They just really don't, they just think, oh, God, I don't want to come in and have to do a sleep study. I don't want to stay the night somewhere in a novel environment, people watching. Now, we do home tests. We do a lot of home sleep apnea tests. So we have really high-quality equipment where people can just put on a, you know, take a device home, wear it one night, uh -huh. bring it back, we see the doctor, and the doctor says yes or no whether there's sleep apnea, and then we go from there. Gotcha. Good to know. Well, I know you said, too, when people come in, regardless of their circumstance, you're not just, it's not like they, you're cherry-picking for conditions or mm -hmm. it's, so <laughs> what are some of the other things that might come in? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, in fact, my clinic, you know, I, I get that a lot in the community when, I, when people meet me and say, oh, you're a sleep doctor, so probably just a lot of CPAP stuff. I say, yeah, I, I do some of that. But you know, with my clinic especially, it's 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 much more involved with a with a greater breadth and uh, diversity of, of patient types. Uh -huh. um, I probably have maybe one of the largest you know narcolepsy groups, uh, you know clinics, you know probably you know maybe in Oregon, but certainly in the in the Willamette Valley. I, t I take care of a lot of. Uh, Patients with a condition called narcolepsy. Have you familiar with it or heard of I it? Know, I know of it, but it's only in the most cartoonish sense. Exactly, like, exactly. You know, and it gets, uh, you know, and generally they it, it always, they kind of try to make it sort of a funny thing in the, in the movies. And so when people think of narcolepsy, they might watch a, you know, see a movie where a person's like doing something and they just spontaneously fall asleep, you know, <laughs> and their head lands in the soup or something. And it's, it's actually not like that. It's, it's a, what they've done is they've kind of taken a, a part of what can happen in narcolepsy and blend it in to make them look like they're falling asleep. But, but narcolepsy is this very peculiar neurologic disorder. So it's, a, it's, it's truly in the realm of neurology. And what, what it is, it's a, it's a disorder of both wakefulness and, and, and sleep. Okay. And so we, the brain, of course, is incredibly sophisticated. And we're only scratching the surface of knowing about it. But there's this tiny little part of the brain uh, in the lateral uh, hypothalamus. Mm -hmm. And it's got a bunch of neurons, not that many actually, probably I think it's like 50,000 neurons, but their job is to secrete this molecule called orexin. Okay. And there's two different orexins, orexin A, orexin B. But the gist of what orexin does is it helps promote wakefulness. It goes down and it talks to other areas of the brain mm -hmm. to make them secrete the molecules that wake us up. Okay. So it goes to these areas like a lot of them in the brainstem. And what it does is it it increases a lot of these molecules that we hear about, norepinephrine, serotonin, even histamine. It, but these molecules are designed to, in part, to activate the cortex and wake us up. So uh -huh. think of this tiny little area in the brain in the in the, kind of the middle part, frontal middle part of the brain is designed to send messages out to wake the brain up. Uh -huh. Well, for reasons unclear, that area doesn't operate right. Some of those neurons die off, whether it's autoimmune, no one really knows. There, there does seem to be genetic components to this and, and, and some some tip off that it, it may be, you know, some people are predisposed to some sort of injury. But, but the gist of it is these neurons, a lot of them die off and the, these patients don't have this orexin. They don't have this molecule to help wake the brain up. Uh -huh. So at an early age, sometimes as young as five, but Hi. often it manifests generally in the teens or early 20s, uh, people will start to develop this disorder of sleepiness, unexplained, relentless sleepiness. They, they tend to feel okay generally when they wake up or after a nap. But then as time goes on, they get really sleepy and it's just, it, it just, it's relentless. It does not stop and they need to go lie down and, and sleep for a little while and then they wake back up, maybe feel better, maybe not, but they, they just struggle with this on a, on a daily basis, heavy, um, unrelenting sleepiness. And again, it's in part because the wakefulness centers are just not activated. Mm -hmm. the, the other aspect to it, which is when, when I say this is a peculiar condition, it starts to, uh, those molecules that we talked about that help wake the brain up, uh -huh. one of the things that they also do is suppress REM sleep. So when we sleep, we have, like we talked about, non-REM sleep and REM, and, and REM sleep. REM sleep is dream sleep. Uh -huh. Well, what happens is if those molecules that wake the brain up are not, there's not enough of them around, uh -huh. 
that REM sleep that we would get just when we sleep, the dream sleep, uh-huh. it actually intrudes into wakefulness. So you can get uh-huh. actual REM sleep phenomenon in the body happening while you're awake. And so what happens is often these patients will have conditions that are things like what's called uh, sleep paralysis. Uh-huh. So as they're feeling really tired just before they fall asleep, that REM sleep, which normally comes later after you've been sleeping for a while, REM sleep comes even while they're awake. It just dives in early. And we're paralyzed when we're in REM sleep, typically. We can breathe, uh-huh. but we don't. most of the muscles aren't working. But as these people are falling asleep, that paralysis of REM sleep approaches them. So cognitively, they're awake, but they can't move. So they're lying there, almost feeling like maybe they're smothered. They can breathe, but their body's paralyzed. And then they may fall asleep. Um, sometimes they just come out of it, and then they're like, well, you know, what was that? Uh-huh. Maybe when they wake up out of sleep, same thing. They can wake up out of sleep paralysis have sleep paralysis where they, they can't temporarily move usually it's it's under a minute or so mm-hmm. um, and once people acclimate that they know what it is it's not as scary but the first time if you've ever had one and 20% of the population just can naturally have one of these uh-huh. it's a scary event I don't I, know if you've ever had I one I have yeah. and it was I was driving or I wasn't driving thank goodness but <laughs> I was a passenger in the back seat of a car okay and you know when you can kind of get in that I'm sort of asleep but I'm not asleep and I just remember getting to a phase where I'm right in the middle of that state of consciousness and I wanted to get up and I had this very visceral sense of I can't. That's right. And that sense of okay, but I know I need to and I know all the muscle groups that are required to make this happen and none of them are responding. Exactly right. And it probably only lasted I mean it felt like an eternity, but I'm sure it was maybe 20 to 30 seconds if that. But I do remember the amount of just force and that it felt like I had to push where I'm like, oh no, that's not happening. And then yeah. Yes. That's, and that's a, that's a wonderful, uh, a great description. And that's what happens. They can have, but they have it often. Where we're, you know, I've had maybe one event. Mm-hmm. I say maybe. It was pretty much one where just as I was starting to kind of wake up, I realized half dream, half not, I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. And I sensed it as an adult. And I was like, I was already sleep doc at the time, so I knew what it was. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's what that was. Um, but, but they have them often. Narcolepsy patients, rather than just a one-off or, you know, here and there, smattering of them at, at best, they have them regularly. They can have them quite often because it's that abnormal REM sleep intrusion. Okay. Another REM sleep event that can happen where there's just abnormal REM you know, intruding on in is uh, are called sleep hallucinations. So when I we dream, we visualize, yeah. you can actually have a process where we start to essentially have dreamlike phenomenon. It can be visual, tactile, like touch. Um, it can be almost like an out-of-body experience. Same thing as they're falling asleep, as they're waking up. And I've even seen it where it just intrudes into overt wakefulness. So, you know, Teenagers just feeling okay, sitting on the couch, and all of a sudden they they start to see something really weird and start to get paralyzed along with it. Uh-huh. And uh, you know that's that REM sleep intruding in. So you're you're still somewhat awake, but you're now seeing dreamlike phenomenon, and they can be so real that it's terrifying. It can look yeah. like a burglar is just running into your room, and and you know and all of a sudden you come to and realize it's it's not a it's not a real thing. You'll see pictures of paintings, portraits of years ago where people will draw pictures where they're lying there and they'll have demons hovering over their body. Uh-huh. Those sleep hallucinations, probably what someone experienced or, or someone with narcolepsy. Now, years ago, they might think that they you know, needed to be, you know, have an, ex, you know, an exercise, exorcism, yeah. exactly, uh, because they have demons in their body, but it, it was, you know, it's a REM sleep phenomenon. And same thing now with narcolepsy patients especially, they'll have the hallucinations and they'll have the paralysis together. So you might have a, a, a demon or some crazy thing floating over your body, and you're paralyzed on top of it. Very terrifying experience. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, there are medications, and you know, we don't have to go into much of it, but just know that when it, when it comes to the, these kind of pheno- this phenomenon with, with narcolepsy, we have medications at our disposal that can, that can change people's lives. Narcolepsy, like I said, that the primary complaint that narcolepsy patients will have is the sleepiness and we have medicines to help them stay awake but also in many circumstances reduce those REM related phenomena. The the most unique feature of narcolepsy is this condition called cataplexy. Okay. And it's really the only medical condition where cataplexy is it, it can take place. Um, I mean there's secondary forms of narcolepsy where we see it, but cataplexy is a form of the of the body weakness um, that can occur while we're awake, mm-hmm. but it's emotionally driven. And so they still understand, trying to understand the circuitry, how this occurs, but generally in the form of a positive emotion like laughter, mm-hmm. a patient with narcolepsy can laugh or experience a, a strong positive emotion, and sometimes it can be a negative like fear, 
But when it happens abruptly, that uh, a bit of paralysis or weakness can happen in the body. So their facial muscles get weak. Their neck muscles might get heavy and their head could flop. Their arms could drop or their hand could get a little heavy and then it, it returns. Severe cases of it, someone could laugh super hard and they could just fall to the ground totally paralyzed, unable to move for a period of time until the cataplexy releases and then they can kind of start to come back too. And there are videos of this of, of, huh? uh, of people who have experienced cataplexy on their animals, where they're testing animals with narcolepsy, that they've, they've shown this. And I've, I've seen videos of like friends with young kid who has narcolepsy and they're all goofing around. And they know he has narcolepsy and cataplexy <laughs> and they're just like playing poker, goofing around or whatever it was and they're all laughing. And then he's having cataplectic events and kind of falling and they all just kind of laugh, you know, it's together <laughs> knowing who he, you know, what he has. But it's, it can be a very serious condition, of course, because in the wrong circumstance, having cataplexy could be lethal. Well, right? if you're in the car. You're in the car. So I tell my patients, you no know, comedy radio, no laughing kind of stuff when you're driving. If there's any cataplexy, even like subtle cataplexy, sometimes people will laugh and their legs feel like they're almost going to give, but they don't. Just a subtle feeling like it could happen. I still want to treat that till it's gone because I don't want to have an event where something could startle you when you're driving. All of a sudden, your arms could theoretically get weak or something like that. Right. Um, or experiences where I've had firefighters who, you know, a firefighter has narcolepsy, you know, and you have to decide is that the best career choice for you and then you know and sometimes they steer out and find something different to do so sometimes wow. you know career choices have to be changed mm -hmm. because of the the risk of what a cataplectic event could cause but narcolepsy is the only condition really that does this and uh, again treatable we have medicines that we can use to help suppress the cataplexy from t from taking place and so you can have these people who are excessively sleepy and they're ter and narcolepsy patients are terrible sleepers not only they get the worst of both worlds not only are they tired all day then you, when they go to bed at night, then they don't sleep well. Their sleep is light and fragmented, and they wake up a lot. Oh. And they have these hallucinations and paralysis and maybe cataplexy. And so we have certain medicines, one in particular, that we can treat them with. And not only does it help improve the wakefulness, they sleep deeper, and often we knock out the other stuff as well as the cataplexy. And they go from being basically non-functional in some circumstances or highly or really struggling to people who have a, just a, a great quality of life and they're and they're so grateful for it. Well, yeah, I mean, even for someone who had the most boring of sleep challenges for many years, I can tell you that it affected my career choices. Absolutely, and where yeah. even where I decided to live because mm. I I want to forget who wrote this book, but the book was just called Insomnia, and the author was originally a I think a PhD graduate in in. in creative writing or, or mm. literature or something so she was not a doctor but she was just trying to write a book to chronicle her experience with insomnia and the challenge of getting this thing rectified and she said of those that she interviewed who successfully created a life that got them where they could sleep they moved they changed their mm. careers they did all these different things and she said i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to drink less caffeine i don't want oh, to move right. i don't want yeah. to do all of these things i want just someone like if we have a medication for all of these other random things, like we have a medication for erectile dysfunction, why can't I have one for sleep? And exactly. It's like, and it, I get, at the time, I was really struggling. So in, I had the most boring uh, and straightforward of challenges. I was sure. just having trouble falling asleep. And that was enough to just completely wipe out my quality of life. Mm. So I can only imagine if you have you know multiple areas of complexity where it's not only are you exhausted, but on top of that, now you're having these experiences that may or may not be real. Do they know that they're not real? When they're you know, what's really interesting is some of the patients have, left, have uh, lived with it for so long, they recognize it's, it's a problem, but they've adapted to it. Oh. And so they'll, they'll live with the sleepiness, but sometimes they'll tell their doctors about it and they'll go down a completely different pathway. And so I've diagnosed patients with narcolepsy in their mid-20s and they were down, uh, you know, going down the, the realm of psychiatric care because their doctors just assumed that the tiredness and the, the inability to, you know, the, to, to function well was was heavy to you know, severe depression. And yes, mm -hmm. depression can run with this condition because they're so tired and it, and it makes them feel lousy. But in some circumstances, it's not that they had mental health problems and they're telling, I don't, I don't feel depressed, but I'm still so tired. Doctors are doing their best. It's just not in their differential. And so they might treat them with all these different uh, various, um, you know, psychotropic type medications only mm -hmm. to, you know, and, and it may or may not help if they do have some comorbid depression, but they're still struggling with the sleepiness and they're still having the concentration problems and they're still not sleeping well at night. And, you know, it's, it's not uncommon. I'll see these patients and they come in and they'll explain it to me and tell me their story. And, and, you know, one of the first things I tell them 
is, you know, I'll just say, I, I believe you. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have to say is like, I, I believe you have this level of sleepiness. And sometimes when the story really comes out, it's pretty obvious what's going on. And, and you tell them where you think this is going to go and how you're going to test them. And, and so many times I've had people break down once I deliver that diagnosis. And part of it is, isn't even so much that there's this, this feeling that like there's help. Part of it is this, this the feeling of that, that there's an answer. Yes. There's the answer. Like, thank you. I, it was like I was yearning for, for this, you know, just to be told, you know, what is this? It's been there. It's been hovering around me all these years, and I don't know what it is. And then you tell them. And, like, mm-hmm. it's almost a, a sense of, like, you almost see them get better in front of you, and you haven't even treated them yet. You just mm-hmm. gave them that diagnosis, and then they're like, okay, now I have a map. Now yes. I have some starting point. And then generally we start start with different medications and there's a pathway I kind of go about in terms of improving, you know, their health and their, and their symptoms. And then generally most of them are extremely functional. Most of my narcolepsy patients, the vast majority, you know, work and, you know, and some of them, you know, we manage, I've, they have children. I mean, they have really, you know, very, you know, there's still, some of them still have some residual tiredness, but they have normal lives. They have yeah. completely different lives than they once had, mm-hmm. but it all starts with that, you know, in my opinion, I think it starts with believing them, doing the workup, and then when they get that diagnosis and know that they have something now that they can they can focus on, then their support groups, then they're you know they research about it, they read about it, they learn things, they bring things to me, and I learn new things, and we work mm-hmm. together as a team, and I see them every three months most of the time. Once we kind of dial in their meds and their and they're so so appreciative. Some of the most appreciative patients I'll, I'll have. Well, I mean, I don't know that there's anything more powerful you can do as a healer in any capacity than to look someone in the eye and say, I believe you. Mm-hmm. Or Because really, what you're saying when you say, I believe you, is also there's the added undertone of, I see you. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times if people, you know, and this is no, by no means a criticism of other doctors or, you know, when you're having to do 500 different things and be an expert in so many other arenas, you just can't be all things to all people. And I think people do have that expectation of doctors. Mm-hmm. So that's rough. <laughs> and yeah, so, absolutely. And nevertheless, if you're going through something and it's like, this is a reality for me and I just want someone to stand still with me for a second and say, yeah, I see you and I believe that this is probably, I, I, your suffering is real. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, like, I hear you. It's like, oh, thank God. And no wonder they would feel better right in front of your eyes because it's even for that, for a medical professional to say, yeah, yeah, I believe you. And it's one of the conditions, one of the few, I, I, I've had some insomnia, I mean, I've, I've, I've had my bouts of it, but it's one of the conditions where very temporarily I can, I can have some, some inkling of what they go through. You know, I've, I've been post-call or, you know, I, I stayed up way, you know, I come home the next day and instead of going to get some sleep, oh, I'm going to go do something else. And I remember one time I, I was post-call and I, I had some idea, I was like by the video game store, like GameStop or something, and I was like <laughs> 1 p.m., I'd just been up all night. And I was over there, like, messing around, looking at some, like, PlayStation games. And I stood there. And at one point, I kind of closed my eyes. And I nearly, I almost fell asleep standing up. And so there are times where I've, we've all been really, really sleepy for whatever reason. We stay up too late visiting friends or what have you. And maybe you didn't get enough sleep that night and you're really sleepy. And I try to remind myself at this time, like, this is what they experience daily. Yep. And then I immediately tell myself, it's, I don't know how they can be so brave and powerful to, to get through it because I'm, I have it this one moment and I'm super tired and I'm, I feel whiny about it. And they, they deal with it every day. And so that's, that's something important to me to always remember when I'm, when I'm trying to, you know, I'm doing my best to, to, to help them. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, oh yeah. I mean, it's, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but when people make jokes about, oh, really? You have trouble sleeping? That's so bizarre. My, my head hits the pillow and it's out like a light. And there was a comedian who mentioned this, and it was clear that he was an insomniac himself or had either had battled it or was still in that particular battleground. And he said, you know, you would never do that to someone who had any other kind of challenge going on in their life. Like if you had a broken leg, oh, your leg is broken? That's awful. Like, look at me, I can do this. And then start dancing in front of them. <laughs> it's just like, that's what you're doing to people when you yeah. say that to them. Because man, it, it's so subtle mm-hmm. and we rely on it because we just assume it will come to us. Right. But it's, when that take gets taken away, yeah, it's it's like getting shoved underwater. It is. And it, we don't really have the, and, and nor really should we, given all, you know, all responsibilities as, as humans that, to survive in, you know, in the world. To, to be grateful for every single thing that we have functioning. Right. But sleep is certainly one of those things uh, that once it's taken away, immediately you recognize the problem. And it's one of those, wow, this is what I had, I want that back. And insomnia is certainly one of those conditions where 
things were really good. Maybe boom, some event happened, insomnia developed, and then the thing kind of took off on its own. And then now you're dealing with this. And it was like, I was over here and now I'm here. Mm-hmm. And it's affecting my life in all these other ways, which makes my insomnia worse. And then round and round we go. And, and um, you know, that happens a lot. And that's the kind of things that we, you know, we work on. So we, a lot of incremental changes and we chip yeah. away, chip away and start to, you know, improve their health in a variety of ways, but sleep especially, of course. And with narcolepsy, is it similar? It's a, a gradual chip away, chip away, or is it more the case that once they're on medication, it's like, is it night and day? It's a really good question. Um, so often, the first thing I want to do is, it, you know, you really want to address safety. Uh-huh. And sleepiness is the big one. A lot of these people may drive, or they're just their quality of life is so off because they just can't, so poor because they just can't stay awake long enough. So most of the time I try to address the sleepiness first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I might use some sort of a, a wakefulness agent. These are, these are medicines that are well tolerated. Uh, they're not formal stimulants, but they have a stimulant almost like property where they increase dopamine levels in the frontal lobes and it helps essentially wake our brain up. Yeah. And uh, those are very effective. There are traditional stimulants. Um, you know, you might hear, you know, recognize some of the names of them because of they're also used for concentration problems or like EDHD, you know, mm. the you know, methylphenidate and generic Adderalls and those kind of meds. They, they work very well for, for wakefulness, but there's actually a, a medicine that we can use, um, sodium oxabate. It's this, this type of medicine. The mechanism of how it works is not entirely clear, but it's this salty liquid. It goes by the trade name Xyrum, but it's this salty uh, liquid that works on a certain particular brain receptor that just puts the brain in a real deep sleep. Mm-hmm. And probably what it does is it allows the brain to, to build up those neurotransmitters that narcolepsy patients tend not to be able to secrete. Because remember, we said the orexin doesn't work? Right, yeah. Well, this, this drug allows the brain to help bolster up those neurotransmitters so when they're awake, they have more of them to secrete, so they're much more awake, and it keeps that REM, the REM sleep at bay. It's also a heavy sedative, so that drug has a, it also puts people in a, in a very deep sleep. It has a very short half-life, so you actually have to take it twice during the night. You, so these patients will drink their salty drink, uh, fall asleep. A couple hours later, they have their alarm clock set. They wake up, say, three hours later, take another you know, dose of it, and they go back to sleep. Huh. And within a very short period of time, they'll know right off the bat they're sleeping better. But then the wakefulness slowly starts to build and improve. And we start finding that maybe they start getting these side effects from their stimulants. And it's because their wakefulness is, is so good now that the stimulants are too potent. So now we can start pulling back on the stimulants or maybe get rid of some of them and they just get by with fewer wakefulness agents with the, with the sleep drug. And, um, but that's the biggest game changer, that, the, the Xyrem drug that I mentioned. There's a new preparation called Zywave, but what it does is essentially um, it's, a low, it's the same drug, but it's a lower sodium uh, format because uh, there's a lot of sodium in the other one, but less, less salt. Uh-huh. And so these, these medicines can be, you know, significant game changers. There's been some newer medicines that, that help promote wakefulness as well that are non-stimulants. Um, and so, and, and they also, you know, can help with, with, you know, one of them in particular can help with, with, with cataplexy as well. So, but it's, it's, it's neat to get to see that. And, and, and these are improved now um, you know, for children as well, because I do see wow. kids that end up with narcolepsy. Um, and, uh, and the same thing, you know, it's really hard for a little one to, to function in school when all they want to do is just put their head on the desk and just keep sleeping. You know, I had, I had one little boy, and um, he, he was a really sweet little boy, and he was kind of, he was very hyperactive, but then as time went on, you know, he, he gained some weight, and that's one of the things that happens with narcolepsy. They, they often will have unexplained weight gain, and part of it's because the lateral hypothalamus deals with weight control. Yeah, and so these, some, some of these kids or adults will just have, you know, this this unimpeded just kind of explosion in weight. They'll gain a lot of weight, and they don't know why. And often, that maybe the doctors see him, oh, it's probably because you have sleep apnea. That's why you're so tired, because you gained some weight. You know, you've got apnea. Well, they do have apnea often, but it turns out they also had, but the underlying narcolepsy was the issue. Yes, the sleep apnea came later. So it was almost like there's narcolepsy, and, and then it, that led to weight gain, and the weight gain exacerbated it, breathing issues. Exactly, so oh, exactly. Okay, and it. so you might just see them and think, ah, oh, they're overweight. It's, you know, they got some snoring. It sounds like sleep apnea. That's what's going on. But the weight gain happened because of the narcolepsy. So they have two conditions. And sometimes they never get the narcolepsy part. They miss that. But I have one little boy in particular. And you know, he was so tired that he would like, you know, when I had, I used to have my, you know, the big, you know, hospital examination or the, the examination, you know, the seat bed. And uh, he, would, he would just fall asleep. I would step out of the room for a minute, come back, he'd be asleep. Uh-huh. It's like, this is abnormal. He's so, so, he was young. He was like nine, 10 years old. He was so young. And, uh, you know, 
as a child, you know, when you're when you're that tired and people don't recognize it's a medical condition, at one point when I was in the process of treating him, after he'd already been diagnosed with narcolepsy, he was still tired and we we're still working on getting him to, you know, to get him to where he needed to be. He was in the classroom and his teacher got tired of him being so tired and sleepy. She made him stand in front of all the other children and stand there. Um be, to keep him awake, but also as a punishment for falling asleep. This is a medical disorder, and I needless to say, I was very upset. It, you know, yeah. that's just so inappropriate. But but that's how people can be viewed by others when they have an underlying medical condition. That's what they go through. And and I I've had it where I've had really young kids go through. You know, eight years old. I think it was maybe seven or eight was one of my youngest. And I remember even having someone say, "Why are we doing a, a an narcolepsy workup on you know an eight year old?" And then we did the the testing, and it was just it was so abnormal. I mean, it clearly in the area of narcolepsy, I almost didn't believe it. It was one of those where like, am I missing something because this seems so obvious that maybe this is her, maybe her brainwaves just look like, and then it was like, no, it's just that clear that that's, you know, that this is what it is. Um, and so, so there's, there's a lot of that. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a stigma for, for people if they're especially sleepy and can't function and um, you know how they're treated, and so we, you know we have to take all of those things into account when we're helping people. I know. So you mentioned neurotransmitters. Um, there's an. I don't know to what extent GABA is specifically related to narcolepsy or, or any sleep condition, mm-hmm. but I've heard mm-hmm. it come up quite frequently mm-hmm. because it helps tamp down on the excitatory neurons. Blah blah blah. At any rate, I know a number of people who take supplements that might have GABA in it, and then I remember hearing from at some point, uh, the problem is it can't cross the blood-brain barrier. And so I'm thinking of this as it relates to other neurotransmitters. If you see it in a supplement form or in a medication, is that ever an issue, it being able to cross that blood-brain barrier? Do you sometimes need to get precursors to it? Yeah, it's tough because there are some um, supplements that probably, you know, that have some sedative properties that might work in the fashion of increasing GABA. And what GABA does is it kind of works widespread throughout the CNS. Um, It has, you know, muscle relaxant properties. and it does have sedative properties, mm-hmm. um, but the, there are some supplements that can do that. Melatonin is not one of them; it has its own mechanism. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's that's actually a very good question um, mm-hmm. in terms of you know it would it's really individual. It's very specific to whatever chemical is in the uh-huh. is in the supplement. You know, some are gonna yeah they have to cross the CNS to, to create GABA, and if that's one of the mechanisms by which it works. But there could be other mechanisms on how the sedation works in some of these drugs, like for example. A lot of the over-the-counter medicines that people will take, like uh, you know the Benadryl kind of sure. medicines or diphenhydramine yeah. or those the sedating antihistamines, they uh, they work by you know blocking one of the, the areas that you know that create histamine, and so that's so that creates the the, the sedative effect. Mm-hmm. The problem is is those medicines, like you know for example, if you take those regularly, they may not be so hot on the brain long term because they also have a, a side effect of working on some of our memory circuits and things, and so they're there's some there's an increasing uh, amount of research that's coming out supporting that maybe using some of these kind of medicines with the the sedative antihistamine effect you know may have some sort of long-term impact you know potentially on functioning and that's really important to consider when you know I saw a study not that long ago that suggested that up to 50% of the population in the United States right now during the pandemic is taking some form of a sleep aid whatever that may be uh-huh. so people are taking a lot of stuff and so the best I can often I you know, there are a lot of sleep aids at our disposal. I don't use a lot of them. Um, yeah. Sometimes, very, very targeted, very, you know, judicious use of them. I really work to try to get people off of some of those meds, just thinking, you know, not only short-term, but, but certainly long-term. You know, I, would, I don't want, if there is long-term risk of mild cognitive impairment or dementia from taking some of these medicines, then, you know, I want to, you know, have done my part to really try to keep them from taking that as best I can, aim for a more natural approach or, yeah. or something that, uh, maybe they could use temporarily until we can get them, you know, off of all drugs. Absolutely, because it's you know it's so funny. Anytime I think, oh, I'm not going to remember the guy's name now, but he wrote "Why We Sleep" mm-hmm. TED Talk, and he was asked on some kind of an interview about uh, various types of things that can help with you know, in terms of sleep aids and in various contexts. And he every single time sort of like you know I I'm, I hate to break it to you, there is nothing I would recommend. I mean, mm-hmm. I can tell you that there. Are instances where it could be helpful in a long-term treatment plan to include this for a short period of time, but this this is the cost, and every single one of them had a cost. Mm-hmm. Everything from, 
ambient to marijuana. He said, yeah, yeah. you're going to get here. The, here's the pros and here's the cons. And as a practitioner, I'll tell you, the cons continue to outweigh the pros. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting phenomenon, too. I see a lot of patients where I'll still prescribe some sleep aids they've taken for a period of time. And when I see them, you know, seldom they're, they're actually not refilling the medication very often. Mm-hmm. They'll take it very sparingly. And they say, you know, for me, it's just knowing that I have it as a just in case. That, that is, that's really the sedative, almost like having the pill bottle, yes. but not really the drug. And, and, and every once in a blue moon, they might take it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But um, just knowing they have it as a backup, they still haven't got to that point where they're confident enough uh, or sleep consistently enough where they don't feel like one bad night or a couple bad nights isn't going to be the end of the world. So they still having that can, can play a role, a soothing role for them. And in those circumstances, you know, I allow it to, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but at some point, long term, I'm like, you know, you're really close. You're really close. <laughs> you're only taking a couple here and there. You know, what if we just go for it? You know, mm-hmm. and I, I never say you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I put... I, you know, that's that intrinsic, extrinsic locus of control. I, I want them to be, when they're ready, when they're ready to make that move, they go and do that. And sometimes patients just come back and they're like, oh, I don't take that anymore. What? Yeah, I don't, I don't take it. I just, I finally said enough. I went cold turkey. I, actually, I did pretty well. I'm, I'm doing just fine. <laughs> I've had patients like Ambien or, or, you know, similar drugs for years. And I'm thinking, boy, one of these days I'm going to have that tough conversation. I don't have to have it. One, you know, some days they just... <laughs> Maybe they developed such a tolerance to it that they, you know, when they stopped, it really wasn't, you know, all that. It was a psychological tolerance rather than a, or dependency rather than a true physical, uh, physiologic. And so when they finally just decided, I no longer need this, they really did it, yeah. you know. And, and that probably ties in with how how much extra sleep you get with some of these sleep aids. 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I mean, the, probably the yeah. best benefit from a sleep aid is there's probably an element that it, it allows our brain to become more amnestic. It, it allows our brain to truly kind of forget what you know what's going on when we sleep and some patients with with chronic insomnia their brain is little in hyper mode where its memory circuits are still active so they're in an actual sleep but their brain's still on the go and they feel awake uh-huh. and so the sedatives may not give you actual formal a lot of extra sleep but it does put the brain in a position to be forgetful of it so it feels like it's actually slept how much it slept uh-huh. um but at some point a lot of people just you know they finally say you know i can do this and they and they surprise themselves i say you know you might go through three, four, maybe, you know, 10 days. Maybe things aren't so good, but then you're going to be back to a new baseline. We'll see where that's at. Uh-huh. And if you're pretty much close to where you've been with the other tactics we've been doing, victory. You know, yeah. if you're sleeping as well or better on a little bit lower of a med or on one fewer, you know, one less medication, that's a huge victory. Yeah, let's absolutely. let's celebrate that, right? <laughs> yes. You know, so so little little incremental steps go along. That's, that's really the goal. I'm not here to fix the world. You know, we just want to just every time we see it, just try to aim for a little bit better. Well, and when you help someone fix their sleep, you may as well be fixing the world. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. For some people that their sleep is, you know, everything is dependent on it. That's the keystone to... <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I protect my, my evening as much as, like, the way some women protect their jewels. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, this is the way... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're having a meeting. It's going to be at 10 p.m. It's like, and mm-hmm. you can have a great time with that. I will not be attending. <laughs> and that's good. You know, that self-awareness to, to be able to do that. And and that's, that's, in, that's incredibly important. I mean, but... It probably took, I don't know your, you know, your full story, but I imagine it took probably years to get to that where you finally, you know, developed a, you know, came, well, actually, it would be probably pretty good at some point maybe to hear your story about how it came, <laughs> came about. Sure. I mean, I've had problems with sleep since I can remember. So it, for as long as I've had consciousness that I am a me, mm-hmm. I can recall memories where sleep was fitful or not. It was hard to just fall asleep. Yeah. And I can even remember as a kid being told to go take a nap mm. and knowing that what they really wanted was a better behaved kid. Mm. And so what I thought is, okay, well, I'm going to try and sleep. And when it didn't come, I thought, all right, well, I'm going to guess about how long I should just lay here. And then I'm going to go out there and pretend I'm really chipper. And then they won't think that I didn't, you know, mm. that I did. and it's not like my parents were these abusive people by any sure. measure, but I was of the mind that, well, I, I don't want them to think I disobeyed them or didn't want to, I just couldn't. And so I would go through cycles in my life where I'd sleep pretty well, and then cycles in my life where it'd be long stretches of really poor sleep. Mm. And there's a lot of movement in my life. So all the reasons why a person might have this come online were pretty clear. So moved at least once a year every year, um, mm. you know, had a lot of, uh, you know, now I live in this house, and then going back and forth between a few places, sometimes not knowing where I'm going to be sleeping that night. Mm. So all the things that, when you hear it, you think, yeah, that would disrupt a kid's sleep. That makes sense. Absolutely. 
But once it gets started, what I didn't realize is you can create this imbalance where the more tired you, you know, if you keep mm-hmm. getting no sleep, your cortisol levels remain high. And so now you're tired, but wired. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I'm so tired. I would, I'm desperate for sleep, but it won't yeah. come. And so once it started to develop, I tried, you know, you name it and I tried it. If, mm. if you told me snake oil would do the trick, I would try it. Everything sure. from you need to go to a chiropractor to realign your chi. Like, okay, let's mm. do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, you know, went through sort of the Western model of let me try medication. Mm-hmm. And the first time I ever tried any medication, I talked to a, a doctor and said, you're either going to give me something that will put me to sleep or you're going to hand me a hammer. And I'm going to hand the hammer to my roommate. And she's just going to knock me out. <laughs> I'm going to rest in peace, and it's going to be glorious. So mm. I'm willing to go into that kind of coma. And so, and I remember trying Ambien, and what was great about it was it gave me the psychological sense that if I, because I did get sleep. So that told me, okay, this issue is psychological. Because once I got to sleep, even if I woke up in the middle of the night, I could fall back asleep. Mm. It was getting there. And so it took... You know, after that, you know, graduate from college, then I go to grad school, but I'm working full time and going to grad school. Mm. And this, it just kept compounding. So yeah. I think my journey of figuring out how to hack my own system, once I really put my head and sort of said, I, I don't want to be on medication, I don't think this is a problem medication would fix in the long term anyway, I've got to figure this out. It probably took at least 10 to 15 years before, and it was as exactly as you say, it's like, let's try this keep mm-hmm. it consistent mm-hmm. and I even remember going to my doctor at some point and she asked me some basic questions and it's like I exercise at least an hour a day I always do it in the morning I don't drink caffeine I don't do this I don't do that I regulate my blood sugar like I I meditate I'm doing all of the things doc help what can I do and of course at that point the doctors are usually sort of like right and then that was when I was living in San Francisco Lots of noise, lots mm. of issues going on there. Okay, interesting. Worked in a really fast-paced work environment where there's a lot of peopling. Like, I was on a call center. So it was like, okay, I need to figure out how to slow this down. So moved to a quieter and quieter and quieter location. Sure. Changed jobs, got much more protective about what happens in the evening. And then what I found was just by changing those elements, all of that other precursory stuff I'd been doing had a little bit more teeth there's more teeth to it so the exercise continued to be helpful eating well continued to be helpful but now on top of that even when I wasn't getting a good night of sleep the next day it didn't feel like I needed to panic Hmm. because I knew that I had enough bandwidth to get through the day as opposed to oh I have to go to a call center now right so when you talked about the fireman who has narcolepsy and you saying to him have you considered a different line of work Mm -hmm. Um, that was something to, so, cause if, yeah, it sort of boils down to the three elements. There's the problem itself, which is sleep. There's mm. how you manage it. And I was doing all of the managing and then there's your relationship to it. Right. And, That's a good point. Right. And so Absolutely. I think once I got to the point where I wasn't terrified of not sleeping, that, that was the game changer. It's like, yeah. okay, if I don't sleep, I'll just be going to be tired tomorrow. It's okay. It's not a big deal. And that then also makes it more likely to get to sleep the next day. Yeah, and and that's a that's a that's a, that's a really wonderful story. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a story. I mean, you're. Yeah, thank no, you for sharing that. I mean, that's, you. you know, it's it's so interesting when you hear these stories of how, and it's it's actually when you look at the the actual kind of the, the model of insomnia, you actually have described it, you know, quite well. Um, often there are people who just, whether it's genetically or their environment or just how they're wired there's this predisposition to having insomnia and and there may or may not be an event that's kind of one of the main things is like you'll hear maybe there was some sort of a trigger or an event that really kind of kick-started it and then things perpetuate it and I you know you think about that model and they call it the 3p model and you're thinking about I I always kind of think of it along the lines of like you know when you think you always remember the cartoon where the person's standing at the top of this the snowy hill and he rolls the snowball down the hill that's kind of the 3p model that snowball starts to roll and then we try to do things, to do, and it just keeps rolling, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And for some people, it may kind of roll off to the side, and you've got this big snowball to deal with. And sometimes it just keeps rolling down the hill until it hits, you know, the cabin at the bottom of the hill and <laughs> blows everything up. That's the, you know, the, the, the catastrophic insomnia. But, but that's really what we're aiming to do is, you know, is, is, is you know, we, we find where the person is at, where they're at, what is their, you know, their, their kind of their mental model about, you know, and I'll ask them sometimes because I just don't know. I just met this person. And I'll say, you know, what, what's, what's your goal? What, what do you want to achieve? You know, are you in, and that gives me some idea, you know, 
in terms of, you know, realistically, what do they want to do? If they're on seven meds and they say, I want to sleep like I did when I was eight, you know, that's going to take a lot longer, more conversation um, and time. And, and, and certainly because that's, that's probably very unrealistic. Right. But, but there are some people that are just like, I just, I just, just want to sleep better. Or I just, I don't want to take this anymore. Or, you know, basically kind of guide me to, 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 to maybe not have to rely on this stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, these medicines. And, and that's really good to know. That's that map that we talked about, starting point. And then we, we start to go from there. And I think one of the things that you, you mentioned that's, that's so interesting is you were talking about, you know, having this insomnia for years, but it was, you know, maybe maybe it was, was later on in, in retrospect, but you, there was a recognition that whether it was a work environment or the, the external environment, mm-hmm. how did that play a role with your, with your sleep? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we just don't know is provided. We don't know exactly what their sleeping environment's like or what their, you know, that's only what they tell us. But there are probably a lot of little factors that can play a role. So the best we can do is chip away at little areas and see if, you know, maybe we try this little, does this help? You know, do a little bit of this. Does this help? Sometimes I'll give them eight, to- like I said this last <laughs> time, I'll tell them eight things to do. And they may go try a couple, three of them. And six of them were, didn't work at all, but maybe one of them really landed. Yes. And that was the one. And they're like, they went from, let's say your insomnia is at 100%. That one, you know, event dropped at fifty percent. So yes. they're already, you know, much better than wherever they started. So now we're like, hey, no matter what, we're just gonna keep, you know, maybe we'll land on something else. And those little incremental changes often have nothing to do with the bedroom. It's just sometimes other other stuff. And so mm-hmm. sometimes their life just gets better in other avenues. It gets better, but maybe a, a tip or a tactic or a strategy that we that we work on together really, you know, makes that you know, a big, a big, a big change. Well, and it can also then spiral or snowball in the opposite direction once that happens. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of like, you know, it's not as though, oh, eating well, exercising, do all of these great things doesn't help. All that, all that stuff probably kept me sane. So Mm -hmm. it was fine. But then that put me in sort of in a foundational place where it's like, all right, well, why don't I just try making this change? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, game changer. Yes. And so now it's compounding on itself. Oh, I'm doing so much. I, I got one good night of sleep. I can be more productive. Well, now I'm realizing, wow, I, I got a good night of sleep and, all, and I'm still feeling kind of stressed. Oh, now I have enough bandwidth and capacity yes. to realize, oh, the, maybe the issue is this isn't the right environment for the nervous system I've got. Maybe I'm just not wired for this. Mm-hmm. So then you make that change and now all of a sudden it's, mag, you know, it's by powers of 10 getting better. Yeah. But, it's, yeah. but you just need that one thing sometimes exactly. to move the, the needle just enough to give yourself just enough bandwidth to be more clear. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And... And it could be, you know, a, a, a tactic or a tip, something that helps and they get there and then they're good to go because they, they are sleeping a little better. And that, that kick. And sometimes it's just that physician saying, yeah, I, I have good feeling about this. I think we're going to make progress as time goes on. Just having a little bit of support may be enough to, to kickstart the process. Oh, and, yeah. and as you know, with insomnia, it's unpredictable. It can, there can be ups and downs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the real goal in my mind is to, to really to help them so those those downs aren't as down, you know, to, to weather, you know, so they don't have those those deep wells that they go into. It's 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 less of a dip. And so they can weather that storm and then things get better again. Well, and it almost sounds too like that, and it's kind of back at that whole what the thing is and what you're how you're relating to it. But the I think the Buddhists call it like first start, second dart, or first and so it's like there's the the first of I'm not sleeping. Well, that sucks. And Mm. I think just about anyone on the planet, or even if it's, whether it's narcolepsy, like I have these symptoms and they suck. We can all agree that they don't feel good. Mm -hmm. But then we have these additional layers we put on them of, oh no, well, if this doesn't happen, well then, you know, oh, this means I won't be able to do this in my life or this and this and this, and it compounds. And so there's this added suffering that comes online of not only do I just have the symptom, but I have all the things that I've sort of layered on top of it. Whereas when you get to a place where you realize, you know, it's, it's really okay, I just am not sleeping, or mm-hmm. I am just really tired, and I can deal with that. So, like, where do I go from that place? And just acceptance, and um, so I feel like that too, but that's so subtle. Mm-hmm. Getting to that place where you can help somebody just be at ease with this, the ick factor. Absolutely. Before they can then launch into getting it better. Because in my experience, at least, it was not just, it's not just about being tired, it's about what being tired means. If I'm tired, I can't drive, I can't do my job, I can't be functional, I can't, my relationships suffer. If I'm tired, I can't do all the things that I 
could be doing so much better, and I know I could if I just mm-hmm. had one night of sleep. Exactly. And then you take that, and then these people, you know, unfortunately, they have that. If I just had that one night, and they go and they try to lie down, or you know, and then immediately they're they're, they're sleep is one of those things that's really hard. For I, I laugh like a lot of engineers and people who take full control and and uh, you know they have their whole life organized and everything's good and then they want to sleep. It's like I should be able to sleep right now on the dot. <laughs> yes. And and actually, what happens is it, it's counterproductive. They they try to sleep. Like I, I don't remember we talked about this at the last last talk, but you know they did studies where they were paying people whether they could fall asleep or not. They had the controls and the non controls, and they, they say the faster you fall asleep, the more we'll pay you or whatever. And essentially, and the people who knew they were going to get paid couldn't sleep. They're uh-huh. trying to sleep. And then the people who didn't know anybody the controls, they just said, go ahead and take a nap. Okay. And they fall asleep and take a nap. <laughs> they did a lot better than the people who knew they were going to get paid if they could sleep. And so when we're trying to force ourselves to do something, there's, there's, there's effort. There's actual mental uh, energy put into it, which essentially is like a wakefulness pattern. Yes. And so it actually works against us. So we get frustrated. Our mind gets on the go. Oh, my God, I'm never going to sleep. What's going to happen tomorrow? And then the thing just revs up, and there's that snowball effect again. And, uh, and so... The goal, like you said, is is that recognition that maybe what will happen the next day isn't as isn't going to be a problem. And there are ways, and that's kind of how I approach it. Is I give them the tactics to help them start sleeping better. But as visit after visit, you know, I do little things to kind of chip away at the, the the cognitive part. Like, well, let me ask you something. Was there ever a time like, you know, you stayed up extra late? You know, a Christmas party with your friends? Yeah, yeah. Well, you were tired the next day, right? Yeah. But did you, when you were hanging out with them and with your family and friends, were you worried about how you were going to feel the next? Well, no, no, exactly. So there can be some sleep deprivation, and I bet the next day you were okay. That's true. Yeah, that's okay. I said, you know, there's going to be tiredness associated with this, but there are going to be times where you maybe choose to be tired, and you don't think about it or worry about it in those circumstances. Um, And so there can be little tips and and tactics that we that we do to kind of help people just explore the idea that maybe it isn't quite the way that I see it or how I viewed it for all these years. Um, And so again, it's, you know, everybody's different. Everyone has a different story. Um, So it's, it's a relationship. It's not a a quick, every once in a while, yeah, there's one, you see them the next time they come back, they're fully, it's amazing. It's a miracle. But, but often it's a relationship and it it takes time to work on these things. And and like I said, my goal is improvement. Um, Make them feel better about where they're at with things where they come back and say, Maybe they just say, yeah, I'm not sleeping great, but they're not they're not where they were before, where they're just like, I'm not sleeping great. you got to do something yeah, right now. Give me, me something right now to, to put me down, or this is going to be, you know, I'm going to go to the ED right after we're done if you can't help me. You know, that kind of uh-huh. stuff. Um, so. Yeah, I even remember talking to a doctor at one point. It's speaking of what you just said to someone, I believe you. Um, that was you know, how powerful it was for me. I, I was trying to explain to a doc, to multiple doctors at that point and just wasn't having much success of like, I, here's my challenge and they were reluctant they, they didn't know what to do with me because mm-hmm. I was in that gray area spot and I remember finally meeting somebody who who was taking my pulse I guess they didn't believe that I was anxious because I didn't I wasn't having a panic attack at the mm-hmm. time and I was trying to explain well no the panic attack isn't happening right now it's 2 30 p.m. <laughs> like, and uh, this gentleman walks in and he asked you know he had an assistant with him I assume maybe he was in training I'm mm-hmm. not sure um, and so the two of them are in the room with me and he took my pulse and he, and he turns to his assistant and he said, okay, so if you read her pulse now, you'll note that it's pretty low. It's fine. If you were to follow her home and take a reading at 10 PM when she's trying to get to sleep, mm. you would notice this be much higher. And I'm just like, oh, you get it. <laughs> and yeah. even in that space, that was all I needed to just be like, I will grovel at your feet. I will do whatever <laughs> you ask of me. Because, yeah, that's powerful. Even in just just sort of saying, yep, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge that it doesn't feel good. And it can get better. Just a little bit of, like, just breathe. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, like, the message, I think, the take-home message is no matter, you know, if you're struggling with, an, you know, with insomnia or maybe even just excessive daytime sleepiness, like, Know that you can get better. Know that there are providers out there that can that can help you. That you know where you're at in your current kind of sleep state. Um, know that there are people that can that can help you and hear you out and and, and, and do their best to try different things. You know uh, to you know, to get you feeling better. And and that's kind of what uh, it's literally what we do every day uh, in yeah. the clinic scene. All, hearing all these different different stories. Everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, our job is to work within the confines of, of course, safety and with the individual to, to customize a plan to see if we can get them feeling better. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
Is there anything else, in t- when you're thinking of like parting words that you would want to tell folks, like, hey, if there's one big takeaway I would want you to walk away with here, or one or two or five, like, what would you want your, you know, the audience to sort of know before closing for today, if there was... In, in, in the realm of sleep or just in general? I'd say in general, like when, because I think the realm of sleep is general. Like, yeah. in my experience, and maybe yours is different. Yeah. Sleep can, t- it's sort of like uh, the way people eat can tell you pretty much about their relationship with life. Yeah. How people are sleeping can tell you pretty much. Their yeah, I would say that's a, it's a really cool question. I might come out kind of left field on this one with my answer. But one of the things that I, that's, that I'd like people to, to at least consider and think about, and it's kind of how we I like to practice, is that sleep, we've talked about this already a lot. Mm-hmm. That like small little changes in sleep can 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 magnify real positive change down the road by by little little steps. Mm-hmm. But it's that that message that that can actually be widespread in a person's life in all areas, and that's this concept. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of it. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's like, you know, essentially like 1% change. Yes. And so, you know, it's, you know, the, the, the fancy term that was brought forth, and I can tell you the story about it, it's fascinating, but like, it's this, it's kind of like this aggregation of marginal gains, but it's this concept that like, if you can make a very tiny little change in one aspect of your life, one little area, mm-hmm. and focus on trying to find little areas of your life where you do 1% changes, mm-hmm. At first, it doesn't sound like much. They say, wait, 1%, that's, that's almost nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, 1% over weeks, 1% consistently performed over months starts to aggregate. It starts to, starts to grow. Mm-hmm. And it's that, that concept, if you double your money every day, how much can you have? And, you know, Warren Buffett said it, that basically, um, you know, that uh, you know, exponential growth is essentially like, you know, the, it's like the eighth wonder of the world. But what happens is you make these small little incremental changes it starts to magnify. It's not one plus one percent plus one percent plus one percent. It starts to exponentially grow. So if you look at the graph, it's not linear. It's not this straight line. It actually almost starts to go straight up. Mm-hmm. And there are wonderful stories about it. At one point, I, I could tell you a story about, you know, the cyclists, the Great Britain cyclists, and how they did this. But but essentially, the the gist of it is. You might have sleeping problems, but there may be other areas in your life that you can target with a 1% change, making small little incremental changes. And those areas may make you, uh, you know, healthier or better. And that may actually carry over indirectly into your sleep life. And then that may help you get better. So it doesn't have to be anything special. It could be, hey, I like to eat, you know, certain types of chips. Mm-hmm. And my 1% change is, is instead of this size of a bowl, I'm going to make it this size of a bowl that I put the chips in. That's mm-hmm. 1% change. But that 1% change may be a difference of 60 calories or 70 calories. And 70 calories over a period of time, you know, a couple months might be a, a pound or two just by changing your chip intake by, yeah. a, by the size of a bowl. And we know that how big of a plate or bowl you have is how much food you're going to eat. So like something that teeny could have a huge change. Now imagine if you did that, but then you say, well, instead of these, this type of chip, maybe I go to the baked chips at this size of a bowl. It's another 1% change. And then you can start, and then maybe one day it's not chips. Maybe you, you, you change it over into, you know, like the, the veggie straws or something. It's just an example. But yeah. you start, like, making these teeny, teeny little changes. But then you start finding these other targeted areas and do them regularly. Doing them regularly can become a habit. But by, by a certain period of time, you know, exponential growth, you might start finding that these little changes have added up. And all of a sudden, four or five months down the road, or maybe not that long, maybe far mm-hmm. sooner, all of a sudden, you're you're feeling better, and now it's like, guy, I've lost. Wow, I lost five pounds. I didn't really even <laughs> really have to do that much. Now I feel a little better. Maybe my one percent is. Uh, I'll add one percent. You know, I'll add five minutes on my walk. I tell people actually one minute. I say you go for a ten minute walk every day. Add one minute. And they just kind of look at me like what? And I say just add a minute. Think about it. In a month, you'll be doing a forty minute walk. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, sure. I can do one minute. Exactly. I can do one minute. And then that's all you're adding. Like, truly make it one minute. Go 11 minutes. And then the next day, go 12 minutes. You can do one minute. And then on a day you're feeling a little motivated, add a few extra minutes. You know, don't rely on motivation. Just put yourself in a scenario where you can just do it. Do a 1% change. And, like, this has been shown widespread. I have a little a sticky note. It's got a, it says, <laughs> it's just got a 1% with a delta sign. I just slap that on my, <laughs> so I have to do something 1% before I start my day. It's hanging right in front of me on my monitor, so I can't see my monitor until I do something that I can take it off. Excellent. So that little tip is, is something I'm a big, I'm a big fan of because what happens is in, in health and in life, you do something well and you're going, well, it actually carries over and you're more inclined to, you know, do it in other areas. If you exercise, you're more inclined to making 
better decisions about eating. And so those 1% decisions probably get easier. Mm -hmm. And then you just find yourself spiraling in the right direction. It's like our snowball that we started with at the bottom of the hill. Yes. The cabin's kind of, re, you know, all of a sudden magically put itself together and it's starting to roll up the hill getting smaller. And yes. so, right? <laughs> that's the upside and the downside of anything with development. It's like the downside is it can spiral down real quick. Right. And, once it com and it compounds. It's got the concept of compound interest, you know? Yeah, exactly right. And so it's like, but on the other hand, moving in the opposite direction, it can spiral up real quick too. Exactly right. Even and this small change. And, you know, we are in a 24-hour cycle. So we, we get into habits. We get into cycles. And so we can develop these little, little habits and get into the pattern. Our brain is craving to do this. Our brain is designed to look for patterns for safety and to, to keep us alive. And so we can pattern out, add new patterns to stack on top, mm -hmm. add some little little tiny healthy ones, and make it become physiologic. And then you're on the you're on the right track. So that's mm -hmm. so for me, yeah, you can do it for sleep, but I really encourage people to aim in just other areas, and it might carry over and just make them that much healthier. Absolutely, God, what a fabulous takeaway! Because I think so many times, especially in the wellness arena, people imagine what you're going to say to them is, "Okay, here's your 1500 calorie." nutrition program here's right. how here's how you're going to be your new sleep hygiene program you're no longer allowed to watch netflix you're no longer allowed to do this this right like all the things that you love about your life you're no longer able to do but we're pretty sure you'll probably maybe be able to get sleep <laughs> it's like what <laughs> like why would i want to of course i'm going to get good sleep i'm not going to want to be awake that's right <laughs> so being able to get to that place where it's like no these small changes make all the difference mm-hmm and, you know, people talk all the time about the three elements. It's like, what is your why? So what's in it for you? Right. You know, what is the what that you need to do? And then what's your how? And that 1% is one of probably the, the most valuable hows I've ever mm. been able to give to people. It's mm. just, you know, don't underestimate the power of that 1%. Absolutely. God, well, I can't say how enough how grateful I am for you coming here. I mean, you're just an incredible, like, you can speak to these topics beautifully. And, uh, again, that, that combination, standing at the intersection of knowledge and compassion, and that's... Oh, well, no, it's, it, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for, for having me. Like I said, I'll come back anytime. I, I love talking about these things. I love, you know, I sleep doctor, I'm a neurologist, but I love talking about general, you know, health. Mm -hmm. And I'm always, I love thinking long-term about people's health and little little nuance changes that can make a difference for them. Because sometimes those little things can be just astronomical gains for them in the long term. And so we never really know until we try. Exactly. And so it's fun to you kind know, of throw out some ideas. And I, I laugh, like I said, it's I fail all the time and I take pride in that. We'll try things, we'll fail, but you know what? We're gonna land on a couple of them and you're gonna be a lot better as a result. So, you know, we'll work together on it and be honest with me and we'll, we'll go from there. But it's, yeah. so I, I, I love being here and it's, I really appreciate it. Absolutely, well, thank you again.